Good morning. Go ahead and get rolling. We have a technical snafu that they're working on. We'll get that taken care of here in a moment. Um, I have a video as a big part of this today, so we really hope that happens, comes through. Um, but let me just postpone my little intro, <clears throat> video intro, and I'll just start off. Welcome to this session. We're going to be thinking today about uh, the Campbell Church of Christ, profiling the Campbell Church of Christ. And uh, we're fortunate to have uh, two leaders who represent really the last 30 years of preaching at the Campbell Church. <clears throat> Randy Hall, who retired in 15, 14? Uh, two years ago. Oh, whatever, 16. Whatever 17. year that was. <laughs> so not that long ago. And then Shane Hughes <clears throat> came on board about 10 years ago. Eight, yeah. Eight, nine years ago as a um, young adults minister initially and kind of moving in more into the pulpit and has taken over as the lead minister there. Uh, so we have a lot of good things to think about together. Uh, let me just briefly um, share why I'm doing this. Uh, Mike Copet asked me to do a two-part session on kind of a, a growth and decline of West Coast Churches of Christ. And it's not hard to talk about decline, quite honestly. <laughs> I don't know how many of you guys are from West Coast churches. Uh, most of us have experienced decline. That's not a hard thing to, to discuss. Um, but growth is another, another matter, and we certainly there are some cases, some examples of short-term growth or churches that may be very small and grown a little bit. Uh, but to see a healthy church that has never kind of had a big hiccup, that's never really had a, a huge uh, snafu, a big, big moment of decline, is, there are not that many examples like that on the West Coast for us. And Campbell represents that kind of church. So let me just briefly give us a little bit of a snapshot of the Campbell Church. Uh, the Campbell Church was started in 1942 uh, by the downtown church. Is that church still in existence today? What church would that be? Uh, it, it's evolved. Yeah, it's, they're still together. Central? That's Central. 8th Street. 8th Street. 8th Street. 8th Street. And so I, I guess from what I've heard, that was during the wartime. Right. And driving all the way out to Campbell, which is kind of on the southern suburb, if you know the San Jose area, uh, you have a little town that was nothing. Cupertino, you heard of that little town? Yeah. Uh, Cupertino, uh, down that area, those areas down there. Campbell, which is kind of down up against Los Gatos and then kind of down towards Santa Cruz. Uh, but Campbell was too long of a drive during gas rationing during World War II. So they started a church down at Campbell. And that was kind of the beginning, the genesis of the church. Uh, they currently have two services, one a cappella, one instrumental. And they run about 370 to 400 in attendance between the two services. Their high water mark, from what I gather, was maybe 500, 550, somewhere early 2000s. Um, they have a staff of five full-time ministers, two support staff, and two part-time ministers. The budget is about $2 million, Shane said, uh, with uh, staffing occupying about 45% of that budget. They also have a school, K through eight, on location, along with a preschool there. So I know we have a lot of folks here from the Campbell Church. If you're from the Campbell Church, raise your hand if we have, look at that great uh, representation <laughs> from the Campbell Church. Uh, Ken, Ken McAlpin's not in here, I guess. Uh, he's, he's here, he's one of the, he was the worship minister at Campbell for seven, eight, nine years. 14. 14 years, wow. He just recently moved to Jonesboro, Arkansas. He said he was going to come sit in the back and just shake his head saying that's not <laughs> <laughs> uh, But he's not here to do that to you guys. So 
Um, but let me just go on ahead and, and, uh, and interview, if I, if I could, for about 20 minutes, our two uh, key resource people, Shane and Randy. Uh, just ask you guys to share a little bit about Campbell. So, uh, you know, over the last 30 years, Campbell's had a really good run. It's, it's stayed fairly healthy. It's, you know, grown for a lot of that period of time. Uh, there's been so much uh, good, good to talk about with, with Campbell. Uh, what do you think were the major features, the major factors, sorry, behind this relative success at Campbell? Well, I've got a list of five or six things, so I don't know how many you want to hear today. Um, well, one thing I just comment on, uh, it, it's kind of a, a sign of the times and the problem they're talking about that you're interviewing people from a church that's not growing. But, the fact that we've been in existence 75 years is is fairly rare, and a lot of times it doesn't happen, but uh, growth is hard. And, and well, the truth is you have to grow to stay the same. Because mm -hmm. you know, people leave all the time. So we, I don't know, Shane, if you got an idea how many, you probably have to add 50, 60, 70 people a year just to stay where you are. Yeah. So that's, that's a lot of growth, but it's not overall growth. The other thing, we certainly noticed, I imagine other churches have, is that uh, Sunday attendance is not what it used to be in terms of the people that are there. The, the regularity, um, it's just, it's not, you used to count on people being there four out of four Sundays unless they were sick or traveling. And we have a lot of travel, of course, in Silicon Valley, but uh, there's also lots of other things. I just think, you know, a lot of people come three out of four Sundays and some two out of four. So while the uh, membership may uh, be stable, uh, Sunday attendance is actually declining. Uh, that's, that's one of the trends we've seen is our membership is ticking slightly up, but our attendance is, is, tr is trending down over the last 10 years or so. Yeah. But I mean, part of the, part of the reason uh, for, there's no secret sauce. There's never been secret sauce, but there are good habits and, and good practices. Um, just recently, our, you know, Randy retired um, 25 years, 24, 24. Uh, Gary Bortz, our children's minister, retired 25 years. Uh, Kim McAlpin, our worship minister, uh, transitioned 14 years. Uh, we lost 60 plus years of leadership over the course of two years. Um, I, I was, one of our young adults was uh, talking and, and she said, you know, I, uh, what, what do you like about Campbell? And she said, well, you know, Randy was incredible and Ken was incredible. And I'm like, and I'm incredible. Uh, <laughs> and, and she said, you just haven't been here long enough. I've been here eight years. Jerry's still out. Right? Uh, and and that's, that's telling to Campbell's culture, where the stability of long-term ministers um, has, a, has a tremendous impact. I think there's more about leadership. I, I want to defer to you about, talk about elders for a little bit. Well, uh, yeah, elders, you know, the elders, first of all, the first thing I say is our elders are shepherds. And that, uh, was, at least when I was growing up, that's not what my experience was. The elders were the CEOs. They decided what kind of carpet to put in the room and often fought over that. Um, our elders, uh, sometimes I would even say they, they have problems following through with plans that we make because, first of all, they're all extremely busy. They travel to China, to Europe, 
you know, they're, they're, mo they're one, at least one to start a CEO of a startup, and just uh, has been. But they're very busy, um, but they shepherd. And that is probably the number one thing they do. I, I remember having lunch with one of the elders uh, one time, and he just commented, he said, well, I'm having lunch every day this week with a church member. Well, <clears throat> he was a, he was the C startup CEO. He has the freedom to do that. But as an incredibly busy and stressed person, and yet he took the time to do lunch every day that week with somebody at the church who needed shepherding. So that's huge. So um, one of the things I think in talking, I think especially with, I don't remember which one of you, because they run together as we talk, but I know that since the 1980s, of course, a lot of churches of Christ have declined. And that's been true in the San Jose area, too. And would you say that you guys have benefited from, uh, this sounds cynical, so I don't mean it cynical, but have you benefited, how have you benefited maybe from the decline, the misfortune of some other churches? You know, we have certainly uh, had people come from other churches of Christ. I wouldn't say it's a huge amount. The one exception that there was kind of a burst from, the ICOC church in San Jose had a big blow up around 2000 or somewhere in there. And we probably had you know, I'd say 30, 35, maybe 40 people at least come for a while. Some of them stood, stayed and were, have been very key people. Um, but, you know, I'd say at least half of them drifted off to somewhere else. So, yeah, we, we are the place people go when they kind of get whatever at, at another church. But it, it's, uh, you know, it hasn't been a huge factor. I think, I think one of the keys is... Um, especially with young adults now, is children's ministry. Um, because family sizes are shrinking, and you don't, you don't raise children as livestock, you raise them as boutiques, right? Like you don't buy them at the hardware store, you're buying them at the, uh, the Gucci store. Mm -hmm. And so you're putting a lot of effort in raising a few of your children. And so children's ministry is becoming much more valuable to young families. And so having that presence there was, was important, and having, obviously incredible children's ministry for yeah. a long time and um, and it's in some ways that's it's hard to be missional and attractional right like that we could make moves that make us the best church of Christ in the region to grab anybody that's moving from the Midwest and or, since you have been and yeah, yeah but but being that great attractional church means that we're making a choice not to be missional mm. in our neighborhood interesting and those, because those aren't always the same thing. And so, and it's it's so hard to give up on attractional success for 30 years to step out into a missional unknown, which is which is where we've got runway right now, and that's the decision we're trying to make. How do we move into a missional stance as our neighborhood changes rapidly? As San Jose is a very, you know, it's a huge amount of churn, as Randy said. How do we? How do we become missional in that environment? But, you know, the absolute key, one of the absolute keys is you've got to have some way to interact with non-church people, people who aren't in your church. How do you do that? I had a friend of mine call me, you know, they're down to 30 people, their minister's retiring, they're kind of struggling, what do we do? Do we just hold the doors? Do we try to rejuvenate? Do we become a house church? And I said, you've got to, do you have any way of interacting with the community? A lot of churches have helped their people uh, grow and learn how to do that individually, like at work, friends, neighbors, uh, but even that's fairly limited. So, I mean, uh, actually the key for Campbell has been to have a school, w which now has you know, nearly 400 students in it, on campus, 
um, with and, and a lot of our Campbell Church people are teachers in the administration of that school and then a great children's ministry. So Shane's right, I mean, that has attracted people who have been, I mean, without the school, we would have been a different church. Mm -hmm. So let's come back to that in a moment. Yeah. Let, let me talk for a moment about leadership. You both have mentioned the importance of strong leadership. Uh, can you give us an example or two of where your leaders have really demonstrated great pastoral ability or where they've really uh, demonstrated wisdom that would, you would think would be unusual? I mean, you, you benefit perhaps from some great minds coming from Silicon yeah. Valley. So, but, yeah. yeah, I mean, Silicon Valley culture is a risk-oriented culture. Um, you, you, you realize if you, don't, you, if you don't grow, you die. If you don't change, um, there's not a lot of stagnation. And there's, there's evidence of that all over our community. Uh, if you go to the Facebook campus, some of our members work at Facebook, and you get to have free lunch with them, which is fun. Uh, when you go to the Facebook campus, you drive in, and you see the big thumbs up and the Facebook logo. As you leave, the back of the Facebook sign says Sun Microsystem. Which you guys may have never heard of, but that was the huge company in the early 80s, late 90s in Silicon Valley, and they're gone. And so there's a lot of stark reminders in our community about what does it look like to be innovative. And our leaders have embraced that, but they also do it with wisdom. So I, I think the best example of that is, is probably instrumental, where um, our leaders, our elders began studying that, and they... They move from a, a silence as restrictive to silence as permission, so let's use our best wisdom. Um, so we find nothing inappropriate about instrumental worship in our services. We see some benefit as it, um, it helps us connect to community folk. Um, and they, they came out with that study, they kind of dropped a paper, and then they did nothing for like two and a half years. Well, they, had, they, had, they did have meetings for response. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. They invited congregational response, but then but then they just waited until there was a churn within our church to say, we want this, let's do this. And then we retooled and were able to launch our, kind of reform our second service into an instrumental well, service. Well, the advantage we had was we had two services, so we do one of each, and nobody is forced to go to an instrumental if they don't want to get a choice. If it had not been that way, you know, could have been a different story. So that was huge that we just had that opportunity to make that change. But I, but I do see some, some wisdom in the vision of, of change at the rate our church could stand. Mm -hmm. And that's what helped us not blow up as we've navigated women, as we've navigated instrumental, as we've navigated some of those changes. But I, I want to add to that an observation. Here's, I'm retired, so I can say this. <laughs> uh, <clears throat> He's absolutely, he's absolutely right. When we went through the women's study, I mean, that was like 15 years ago, and they came out with the elders and the staff did it together, but the elders came out with you know, what they thought was permissible biblically, what was not. And then from that list, they said, what will we actually implement? And that was not the whole list of what they thought was permissible. So they tried to do it with, with uh, gentleness, with um, concern for everybody. And I think that was healthy. I mean, we did not have a blow up. And you know, maybe one or two people eventually left. Some people, it's kind of like, uh, well, that's the last straw. Every, you know, there's always something that's the last straw. Um, but I would say you have to, be, you know, times change. And that's not, I wouldn't say that's an ironclad rule. Uh, as the issues become 
digested by a church fellowship, an individual congregation or a fellowship, uh, I'm not sure that slow is always the best process. You know, are you the first church to change, the hundredth church, or the last church? Uh, you know, most of our Christian colleges have total equality in their chapel services now. What I'm saying is, uh, here's, here it gets personal. Uh, I have two of my daughters, I, I asked them, would you go back to the Campbell Church if you were to move back to San Jose now? And you need to understand, they are committed Christians, they love the Campbell Church, <clears throat> they love the elders. I once asked Grace over here, she was kind of complaining, you know, as a teenager about, I don't know the elders. I said, well, if you were in a wreck and in the hospital, who would you want to come see you? Would you want Billy to come? Would you want Gordon to come? Yeah, 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 yeah. I said, well, well what are you griping about? <laughs> um, so, but my point is, uh, those two daughters I talked to said they would not go to the Campbell Church today if they were back in San Jose, even though they love it. Because? The women's issue. Wow. My oldest daughter has two daughters. She kind of reflected and said, you know, I just grew up thinking about being a pastor's wife, but I realize now what I really wanted to do was be a minister. And she said, and you know, I, I think Bethany would say, uh, you know, if I went back, I might, if it were just me, I might go to Campbell, but I won't go because of my two daughters. I don't want them to grow up with that restriction. <coughs> uh, Grace, I mean, I've got a whole letter from her. She's our verbalist. Um, you know, she just talked about even as a child how she felt angry about that. And why can boys do this and guys, and guys, and guys can do it and girls can't? And why did God make me this way? And uh, talk, she remembered one night, one time in our home, an elder uh, was with us, and uh, Grace said the prayer, and he complimented her on what a what a meaningful prayer that was. And he said, but she thought, well, why won't he let me do that at church? Mm -hmm. And so she wouldn't go back to Campbell, and, you know. And, and she told me because she's had enough experience now in the Galatarian churches, and she's now going to Culver Palms downtown. Um, that uh, you know she can't go back. So what you're saying is even with strong, innovative leadership, it's hard <laughs> to, yeah. to, to, to stay at pace. It, well, yeah. I'll, so I'll open up in a moment for so some 15, feedback. 15, yeah. 15 years ago, uh, that slow, partial change was probably the wise move. All I'm saying is it might not be today. So it's hard to know. It, it's so hard, even with good innovative leaders, right? Right. So it's so hard. And it's every so hard. church is different. Every church yeah. culture is different. I mean, the other thing about Campbell is it's a culture of relationships. It's a culture of positive um, connections. It's a positive people care about each other. The elders are shepherds. People don't want to. I mean, it takes a lot to get somebody to leave. So let's talk about relationships for a moment. Yeah. What, how have you nurtured those that sense of relationships within the church, especially? I mean, part of that is the nature of our city. Um, when you have a, an environment where, um, you know, San Jose, the Bay Area right now is, is job friendly. Uh, Google's hiring 20,000 people over the next five years. And so there's gonna be a lot of people coming into our city. And that means they're coming in without extended family. And so if you can create the seeds of spiritual aunts and uncles, in a church that will adopt those young families with those young kids. I mean, I, my, I grew up in Colorado, my wife grew up in Virginia, 
her folks live in Arkansas. Um, we don't have pre-babysitting that's family within you know, 12,000 miles. Uh, <laughs> but Campbell, and I realize I'm an, I'm an exception because I'm very public, but Campbell offers to babysit our kids a lot. Hmm. But that's not just us. A lot of our families get that same kind of, there are older people that realize that their mission and their goal here is to love on those young families. And I yeah. see it happening. Um, it's not 100% it's not perfect, right. but, but there's a culture at Campbell that says, we're gonna take care of these people that are, even though some of those families are like, they're there for seven years, they're gonna make a lot of money, and then they're gonna move back home. Um, that's just the way it is. But that churn creates the space for new relationships all the time. But you know, a, a church culture, like any culture, is a long process. It's very hard to change. Mm -hmm. Yeah. And uh, it, but you know, to have that culture where what matters is relationships and loving one another and serving one another. Let me give you two quick examples if I can. Uh, we had a guy who came to us. He was he's a Bosnian. He was in the Bosnian-Serbian War. Severely wounded, shrapnel on his head, blind in one eye, uh, PTSD. Uh, long story, but he came connected with the Campbell Church. We've loved him. He's been a challenge. But one Thanksgiving, I was preaching, and I just said to the church, and this is part of the culture we had, I just said, you tell me, what are you thankful for this Thanksgiving? And people said the usual things. Adis was standing up at the back of the uh, auditorium, and he said, I'm thankful I haven't been in jail for six months. <laughs> and uh, that was a victory for him. And I, I, it just dawned on me, you know, I don't know, I never grew up in a church where somebody would uh, tell the church on Sunday morning, I haven't been in jail in six months. Uh, it's just a different world. And, and uh, so the other one was, um, oh, I had it written down here. Uh, uh, I've lost it, but anyway, they're just those, uh, those relationships where people are willing to share, uh, be transparent, be supportive, uh, not be judgmental on you know failures, mistakes. The elders, uh, w I mean, there are major you know personal problems that people have. They work hard with them. I mean, one elder recently had a, a dad and his two kids come live with them for a while. Uh, so very involved, very patient, but also always pointing them in the right direction. I mean, the guy I was just talking about has grown tremendously, but he'll he'll never be like most people. Uh, but you get to know him close, closely enough. I mean, with, you know, to where he tells you what exactly happened in the tunnels in the war. Uh, you know, he needs to tell that, and some people need to hear that. So you've got leaders who are relationally engaged, not just simply in meetings. Oh, I got the other one. This, we, we had a guy from Africa, part of our family, uh, three boys. His wife worked at the, one of the hospitals. Uh, he talked about cancer and died. It was, a, it was a tragedy. The kids were, you know, early and mid-teens. Um, they had connected with an ethnic community in the San Jose area. So we had, when we had the funeral, there were many of those people that were not part of our church that came to the funeral, part of the Ethiopian or Nigerian, Nigerian, Nigerian community. So we had the, uh, then the, the after the funeral service, we had the fellowship dinner 
and you know, after, anyway, that reception over in the school gymnasium, and this never dawned on me. But I walk over there and I see people from, not from my church, but people from the community, the Nigerian community, bringing in cases of beer. Mm. And I'm thinking, oh, it never even dawned on me. You know, some cultures are they're very different. Uh, so they brought the cases of beer in. And so, you know, you're faced with a choice. And my, what my point is, we didn't chastise them. We didn't say you can't do that. We, we, put, we have a no alcohol policy, but I just kind of said, we'll roll with it. Nobody was a problem, nobody got drunk. And to my knowledge, nobody was upset or, you know, maybe somebody talked to an elder, that's certainly possible, but there was no church blow up over it. Yeah. You know, we, we, we understood what was more important was the relationship with Etoch's family and not making a disaster of that tragedy Moment, tragic moment. Mm -hmm. So let me ask each of you for your last thoughts because uh, you've already touched on the other two questions I wanted to ask. But in a moment, I'm going to have five minutes for feedback. If, if you hear something in what you're hearing about the Campbell story that you can just share, you know, something that stands out, I'd like to just hear what, what, what it is that's running through your mind. But uh, any, any last thoughts from Randy or Shane? You guys? I'm glad I'm retired because I think the job's getting harder every year. Mm -hmm. <laughs> Good luck, buddy. <laughs> um, I think fundamentally the question for Campbell is a little bit what I touched on. Um, can we, how much runway do we have to retool ourselves from an, an attractional church to a missional church? And can we get there fast enough uh, before we lose our critical mass? Um, so that's, that's the goal for me in the next 10 years. And then the second goal for us is how do we continue the healthy leadership? Because we, we were both blessed to come into Campbell even 30 years ago with the best, some of the best elderships I've seen. And if, if there's any secret sauce, it's like get amazing elders, right? Um, so if, how, how do we continue that culture of healthy leadership in a rapidly changing environment, in a, a post-Christian part of the world? Um, and cross-cultural is always a challenge. I mean, we did a lot of outreach at the closest uh, grade school to us. Uh, we, we went down and cooked, Phil is big on that, uh, cooked a whole barbecue dinner for the whole school, all the families on back to school night. They were having zero attendance, virtually of parents coming. Uh, we cooked them a meal. The kids were all taken care of in the auditorium by our great children's minister and his volunteers. And they, you know, I don't know what it was, 60, 70, 80% turnout for two or three or four years in a row. The problem was 90% of the parents only spoke Spanish. Mm -hmm. And we tried to, you know, some were interested in coming to church. We had a class taught by someone who spoke Spanish. But anyway, the cross-cultural was, a, that would have been wonderful if we could talk to each other. Mm -hmm. Thanks to Randy and Shane, everybody. For <laughs> Real quickly, things that you heard that stand out to you. Please. Just a quickly, after being there for 60 years, uh, let me just say, I, I, my experience has been friendly, open, and caring. Mm -hmm. Thank you. Thank you. Former elder. Yeah. Anybody else? I'm thinking as somebody who grew up in my formative years there, one of the things about Campbell during that era, which was 70s and 80s, 
was that we had a purpose higher than ourselves. We were taught about mission. We traveled to Mexico, did yes. a lot of mission work, and there was a purpose bigger than just ourselves. And I think that poured into my life and shaped my future in a lot yeah. of ways. But that, anyway. Mexico mission still goes on. In Thank fact, you. they started recently a feeding program on Saturdays in the parking lot, too. So. Yeah. Here and then here. Uh, I heard you say uh, the secret sauces have great elders. Yes. Yeah. You dealt with women's issue 20 years ago, but your daughter still can't say a prayer. That's uh, what I heard. No, on Sunday morning, <laughs> uh, as a public, that's correct. But we're we're in the process right now. So but yes, yeah, so it's being reevaluated again. Because if it was kind of tabled in a way, yeah. you're, you're not, not the only one. Yeah. <laughs> Anybody else? Thank you. Yeah, thank what you. Uh, what type of school do you have? It's just, which I mean, we've got from pre, uh, infant care, Christian school. preschool, grade school. We had the grade school for for since uh, 20 years at least, and in the last five years advanced it to uh, junior high up to eighth grade. So I mean, it's a private school. Most people come there because they want some kind of Christian impact. Some come because they want. I think, you know, maybe safety and also attention and personal attention. They like the culture. Maybe it's not because of the religion. We had a one, I think, a Muslim family come in mm -hmm. for a while. Um, but it's all an opportunity to, that's where, that's where the church is encountering the community. Probably more than anywhere else. Okay, one, one last comment. Thank you. Yeah. I just think um, we, we can't close this out without talking about the unity of the spirit and the bond of peace. Thank you. Because that started with our elders all the way back to Nelson and Bonnie Gabbard. And they had their own views on a lot of things, but their commitment and their example to the rest of the church and their teaching to the rest of the church was that the body of the church and the peace in the church was more important than me getting my way. Okay, thank you. So, so let, let me paint a picture here with this little clip I put together of what it is we're up against in the sense of this is what folks in our churches are thinking and seeing when they compare our church's struggles, maybe our decline, with their friends and neighbors who go to many of the mega churches that are all around us here in California. Uh, so let me just give you this little bitty clip here that was supposed to be our intro, but it's, it's the mid midway point now. I hope the volume's on. I don't hear the volume. Where's our guy? I work here. I can probably figure it out. <laughs> that we're going to need to start about have about 3,000 groups total. At that time, we only had 800 small groups there. Hey. <laughs> so, so I need 3,000 of you to volunteer to be a host for six weeks. Anybody can do this. A teenager can do this. A, a senior citizen, a little old lady who's in her 90s can do this. You don't have to teach anything. You don't have to lead anything. You just host, H-O-S-T. And I said, I need 3,000 of you to sign up and be a host. And that weekend, 3,200 people signed up to be a host. I would just meet people and say, uh, you like good food? Man, listen, we're going to have a little Bible study and my wife can really cook. Why don't you come over? And people said, man, you're crazy. And they said, what's the address? 
And so we started in our living room. From there, the bishop knew Hayward would be the city where he and his wife would grow their congregation. You said when you first got here, you thought you had all the room Man, in the world. and it was so big, I had to remember that we were just happy as we could be to be up in here. That's in 1981. 16 years later, Glad Tidings Church of God in Christ was built at its current home on Tyrell Avenue. It feels like you've been blessed by God. From a living room to a place that seats thousands, the bishop's seen a lot in his more than 40 years of serving the community of Hayward and says he wouldn't change a thing. Take one place and start there and brighten that corner where you are. You came here years ago yeah. and, um, and, and the, the church was running about 170 people yeah. uh, and, and we've expanded three campuses uh, now and, and thousands of people. Uh, and so, what's that? What's that ride been like for you? Yeah. Um, I, I've actually grown much more comfortable with it now than I was early on, and, and some of that was um, some good friends and and, and God kind of uh, really ministering to me in in, in, in strange ways. Um, uh, but I, honestly, I was anxious about it to begin with, and, and anxious not because it's not very sexy when you start to grow, because it is. I mean, there's something about growth that's a bit intoxicating. Early on here, I had equated um, certain things um, that that I saw mega churches doing as being intrinsically wrong or bad, and and so I think the joke was that about year five, the larger we get, the more guys I owe an apology to, and um, and and so even to this day, man, I don't, I don't really know how to describe what God's done here. Is just you know, there are people who don't like us. There are people who will never like a large church. I don't quite understand that, but I would say this: on opening day of the church in the first century. On opening day, Peter stepped out, preached a message, and that day, 3,000 Jewish people embraced Jesus and the church was launched. And if you read the first chapters of the book of Acts, the church got almost seemingly exponentially bigger in those first few months. And then persecution broke out, and what did they do? They spread all along the Mediterranean Rim. And the reason we're here 2,000 years later is because the church is big. The church is massive. The church is huge. Over a third of the world believes that Jesus is somehow connected to God. So the idea of a big church is not a new idea. The church started big. The church has always been big. So um, we've never, we didn't set out to be big. We just set out to be a church. Unchurched people love to attend. And in our city, like every city, there are many, many, many thousands of unchurched people. This is supposed to be the intro. See it? Nice. Nice this is. Okay, so um, let me set up the next segment. About a, a couple months ago, I did an in-depth interview for this session with Dr. Galen Van Rienen. Galen is one of my mentors. He was one of my teachers and professors at Abilene Christian University. But before that, Galen was a missionary in Kenya. And came back with the missions hat, and I kind of view him as our Leslie Newbingen. He came back from the mission field and realized that our situation here in the States is now a mission field. And that we have to begin to think like missionaries here. And perhaps his greatest accomplishment, in my opinion, he's you know, retired now, but it was founding Mission Alive, which has planted dozens of churches across the U.S., especially in the Southeast. And that legacy of Mission Alive of church planting is an incredibly important one. 
And so in thinking about this, I asked him a set of questions and I've, I've narrowed it down for this, uh, for, for this uh, gathering here. So uh, listen in if you would to um, this interview with Galen. Christ developed a theology commensurate with their times that couldn't really expand effectively beyond their times. Uh, it really was kind of the spirit of modernity. I mean, by my human might and power, we can do things. And so we developed a frame of analysis that's topical. Uh, I, I mean, that, that had a lot of strengths in it. Um, steps of salvation. Hear, believe, repent, confess, and be baptized. And there's truths in each of those steps. But yet, we can talk about human activity without the gospel of God. Um, there's such a focus on human effort. By my might and power, by our might and power, we can do this. We can go out and do these Bible studies. And you know, we were in a time where we were reaching out to folks. The focus was on human effort. And that tied in probably perfectly to the can-do spirit. The can-do spirit of the age. It, it, it's the can-do spirit of the age. we're being bombarded by all different vantage points and if we try to compete with that we never win attractional is never enough um, was Jesus attractional when he took issue with the religious leaders of his time um, I, 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 I think that Jesus by his very way because he didn't opt into kind of this religio-political environment. Um, I, I think Jesus turned the world upside down. Um, in my text, Missions, Biblical Foundations and Contemporary Strategies, I talk about four theologies. First of all, I, I have a chapter on the narrative of scripture because I think that we need to learn the story of God, enter into that story of God, and live out that story of God. And then I talk about four themes that radiate throughout the biblical text. And those are Missio Dei, a theology of God's calling and his sending, um, the kingdom of God, 
his ever-present rule, incarnation, the word becoming flesh and dwelling among us as we, like him, become flesh and dwell among people, and crucifixion and resurrection, how we're dying as Jesus died for us and was resurrected, we're dying for people and are with them being resurrected. And so, you know, I, I think we need to, to think in terms of kind of the storyline of the Bible where people could not do it by their own power and by their own might. It's when people align themselves with the way of God that then God begins to act. In, in fact, we are never in control. Uh, and I don't think we've learned to depend on God. It's a postmodern world. Churches of Christ started in a modern world that by our mind power, we could do something. We could discern the will of God. Well, I don't know if we've used the word discern. I, I think discern is a very special word in which we listen to God, read scripture, and we're formed by, by scripture. And so in this postmodern world, people have become disenchanted because it's so much focused on human effort and human capability. Um, and, you know, I think we've lost the centrality of the gospel. And so maybe as we go forward, we talk about that centrality of the gospel and how we're formed by it. And then how God, in his spirit, leads us forward. There's a sense that we have become atheological. We have not taken the core of scriptures, applied it to our life, in a deep enough way that it is transformed. I think that Jesus told stories. He delved into the storyline of the Bible and was a continuation of that storyline. Uh, I would say that the first process of renewal is that we read the, the Bible not in terms of topics but the story of God so primarily the Old Testament is the story of God and his relationship to Israel and how Israel was to be a light to the nations and they failed and, and there was inferences of the one that was to come. There was inferences of uh, the spirit. And of course, all of that's inclusive in God, God, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. But in the Gospels, we have the coming of Jesus. And then in Acts 1, 18, Acts following, you will receive the spirit. So the Bible is a story of the unfolding of God's work and God's work 
through his Son, and through his Holy Spirit. So if we enter into the narrative of the Bible, tell it in different ways, always establish the big picture and say, we are becoming participants in the story of God. This reshapes our theology and helps us to become storytellers of the purpose of God. In terms of leadership, well, this is a tough one. Because I think leaders want to set the direction of the block. And they might do that in pragmatic ways. I would say leaders must primarily pray for and care for the flock while discerning the will of God. And then they begin to say, hey, come follow me. And they become um, docents, like in a museum. Uh, this, is, this, is, this is what it's like. This is what the gospel is. Well, the two most important questions are, what is God saying? And so there's prayer, there's discernment, there's scripture reading, there's application. Um, and then, of course, then the application is the second question, what is God leading us to do about it? I, I, we have come to say throughout our lives, in Mission Alive and even back in teaching Abilene Christian, that discerning the will of God is primary. What is God saying? What is God saying that we should do about it? I mean, what if churches are not simply doing small groups? But they're doing missional communities. And I'd say missional communities are different from small groups because small groups are about members getting together most often. Uh -huh. Missional communities are about fellowship together, but also being on mission in neighborhoods and networks. Growing churches tend to develop the structures that are. Uh, I think the scripture calls it public and from house to house. <clears throat> well, I, I think um, I think we need both. My, I, my, my feeling is renewing churches begin to be church planting churches very quickly because I mean they're beginning to see God's world and they're not protecting the turf and they're seeing people move away they're equipping God's people for works of ministry so in the sense of in the process of equipping and sending and blessing uh, I suspect they say hey let's Let's plant a church over there. 
I think churches should be simple for a good church. Mm. Because we we see a group of people meeting 20 miles away or 15 miles away or 10 miles away and driving to our church. And we, we plant a missional community over there and we grow it. We put a leader in the middle of that or maybe it grows up around a natural leader. And then we say, hey, that, that becomes oh, maybe a site campus. Mm-hmm. Then it becomes a, a new church. Uh, I guess I would say let's simplify church planting and say it's part of spiritually forming people in the journey. And people come to the service. The church must live in a rhythm of up in relationship to God, in in distinctive community, and then out uh, on mission. It's a rhythm of up, in, out, up, in, out. And if we don't live out, we cannot authentically live in. Mm-hmm. And God leads us in our community to be a people who who share the gospel. I have to talk about church disintegration mm-hmm. uh, as as we're talking about here. And I say churches disintegrate from the inside out while appearing to be helpful. Mm. But renewal takes place when families and churches seek first the kingdom of God. And renewal movements will stand against the principalities and powers if they're in political forms or in other forms, in church forms, uh, that the principalities and powers that stand against God. The church distinctively lives in the world, but is not of the world. So there's purity and holiness, separateness, but not separateness of, I can't touch people, but a separateness because of, of the nature qualities of the church. All right, just a few closing words. Uh, First of all, I have uh, the paper that Galen presented at last year's Christian Scholars Conference titled The Essence of Renewal, The Anatomy of Decline. I have 40 copies. I'd be more than happy for anybody to take a copy of that. Which he asks... Uh, ten questions that church leaders ought to, ask, ought to be asking. So I think, um, I, I hope you've been blessed by just letting, and I'd be happy that those of you who are listening in miss the questions that were in, on the interview in between the segments of him speaking. You can always email me, my first initial J and the last name Locke, L-O-C-K-E, followed by C-A, like California, J-L-O-C-K-E, at gmail.com, and I'm happy to share this video. It's huge, but mm-hmm. Google Drive does all kinds of good things these days. <laughs> just a few closing words. Um, Jesus said, Matthew 5, 13, you are the salt of the earth. 
But if salt loses its saltiness, it's good for nothing. And I just wonder whether or not we realize that we are the people of Jesus Christ. And that we are to live as a called community representing these teachings of Jesus in the world today. I think we've heard really great things about the Campbell story, which point us in healthy directions. I mean, I think the things that you guys talked about, people, folk, I, I see four, four traits of healthy churches. And, and I think if you want to build metrics off of these, I think this is where you build metrics on, on whether or not, measure, measuring whether or not your church is moving in the right direction. I think we, we tend to look at just numbers. Do we have an impressive campus? Are our numbers good? Is our budget good? But I think those are, those are metrics of our world, not of Jesus Christ and his kingdom. And I think the metrics of, of, that you need to create in your own church should be based off of these four traits, at least. And the first two I heard very explicitly said in, in their, their sharing about the Campbell story. And the next two, I think, flowed out of what you guys suggest need to be, think, need to be worked on as you move forward. Uh, but the first two are people-focused, right? People matter more than programs, do they not? But yet we tend to have protection of programs. And I think that is to our detriment. Yes, our grandmother started this program, and it's sad to see it die. But we're in a different day today. Yes, we've supported this mission work in such and such for 30 years. But we're in a different place today. Just simply protecting programs over the people in our church, and more importantly, in our neighborhood, is far more important. I mean, protecting pro people is far more important than programs, right? And you could even ask beyond that, what people are we protecting? Because sometimes we protect the inner club, the founding members. Those are the ones that get the protection. When we need to think to ourselves, who among us is most disadvantaged, is most marginalized, is most neglected? Those should be the ones we should be protecting above all else, right? So people focused, but you gotta think to yourself, what people? And how do we measure that? How do we measure that we're people focused and that we're focusing on the right kind of people? Secondly, strong leadership. There is no doubt that leadership is crucial. I mean, having a guy like Shane there now, like Tian, like um, um, your other staff members, uh, the only two staff members. Well, uh, yeah, Michael, of course, is on staff, support staff. But we have, you guys have a great team of people. You have some really fantastic elders. I was hearing recently the story of Principal Akbar Cook in Newark, New Jersey, as a high school principal, who discovered that there's all kinds of issues in his school, but he was losing kids who were being killed. And, and they have, of course, metal detectors that just come in the door, and, and uh, one girl refused to have her bag searched, and she was throwing such a fit they had to call the police. It turned out that in her bag was her laundry she's homeless. She didn't want anybody to know that she's homeless. So in the process of talking to the kids, they discovered they need to start a laundromat in the school. And the story's a long story, great story. But uh, what was fascinating is this, this principal's done a phenomenal job of turning his school into a missional community. 
It's open in the evenings, open in the summer, open. I mean, this guy, he's all in. And he was asked recently, what's the number one thing that you did? If you could tell the board of directors what it is to do. See, here's what's fascinating is Mark Zuckerberg gave $100 million to the Newark school system about four or five years ago. And it's well documented that money did not move the needle at all in terms of what, what making change in Newark. He said, what's the number one thing you should, you'd like people to know? He said, number one, hire good teachers. It's about people. It's about people who care. It's about people who will work hard, people who innovate. It's always about people. It's always about strong leaders. So strong leadership is absolutely crucial. And it's not just leaders who are going to, like, like Galen mentioned, you know, I think leaders do tend to want to, like, set the direction. We, we've had the meeting. We've set the direction. But that's often, like, not what it's about, right? It's about going there first. It's about saying, come along and follow me. So I think this kind of points to the third thing, the third trait of really healthy churches, which is flexibility. Especially in this day and time, we need flexibility. We need the ability to navigate, not just on the map, but off the map. A great book, uh, Canoeing the Mountains by Todd Bolsinger, I noticed on the program, he's actually somebody doing a class on that, on that book. Todd Bolsinger of Fuller, who was a pastor here in the LA area for a number of years, he wrote a book talking about the leadership challenges of the church today and put it against the story of uh, Clark, uh, Lewis and Clark. And, yeah, thank you, Lewis and Clark. And he talks about how they had incredible skills and they had a great team, but they got to the place where all those skills were thrown out the window. They didn't help anymore. And then they had built the trust of their team by navigating well on the map. But they reached a place when they looked over the mountain and thought they would see the Northwest Passage and realized it was just mountains after mountains after mountains. Mm -hmm. But they were going to have to explore unknown, unknown territory and use skills that they didn't even have. That's where we are as a church today. It's not just skills that we have. It's skills that we don't have. Yeah. And we have to trust in the Lord to provide for us as we move into new and uncharted territory. We need flexibility. We have to be able to experiment. I know that word experiment doesn't always sound good to people in the pews, but we have to have room to, to experiment. And I like how Todd Bolsinger says that our motto was, we just tried not to mess up too bad. <laughs> it's okay to mess up. Just don't mess up too bad. And I tell you, I have messed up at times in my church. I have messed up at times. But I think I'd much rather mess up than not try. Yes. We have to try. Number four, as we close, fourth one, and I think this is the one that we in Churches of Christ struggle with the most. And that's able to discern God's work. Yes. And I could just simply say there, listen, the word listen. We are not good at listening to God or to each other, or to the world. We're very good at talking. That was kind of our motto, was we're really good at talking. I mean, we, we really, we knew the way, we knew the truth, we could explain to people, we could encompass people, but we weren't good at listening. And so if we're not good at listening to each other, how can we listen to God? 
You could just begin in your church with the old simple Southern Baptist experiencing God study, right? That's just a good way to begin to think about how we, how we pay attention to God's work in the world. But we have to realize it's not up to us. God is already at work. Let's join him. It takes a lot of pressure off our shoulders, but it puts a lot of pressure on me to help us learn to listen. And frustration when I know we're not listening. Or when I'm trying to listen, but my elders aren't listening. You know, it's, just, it's hard, right? It's challenging. But these are the four traits that we really need to move in. Because Jesus said that unless your righteousness exceeds that of the scribes and Pharisees, you will not enter the kingdom of heaven. And I think we have to take seriously the ethic of the gospel of Jesus. He said, seek first the kingdom and his righteousness. And all these things will be added unto you. Do we believe those words? And if we do, and truly seek first the kingdom of Jesus, it doesn't matter what happens next, does it? Because it's not up to us. The Lord will provide. Thank you so much for your attention and participation in today's class.